Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to Death by Pod. My name is Pat Hudson, aka the Creep in the Shadows, and joining me is old Stinky is herself. It's a Scream Bean. It's Bloggy Balboa. We know her as Elizabeth as well. How you doing? Oh, you're gonna have to do it again. <laughs> I was laughing the whole way through. That's alright. No, we'll keep this in. Uh, are you gonna welcome keep to the show, newcomers? Are you gonna keep in the, <laughs> the fact that you fucked it up? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, yeah. Hi, everyone. I am good. I'm tied to a bed. There's a bit of wood in between my ankles, and there's a strange lady with a sledgehammer, but otherwise I'm fine. Welcome to Tier 3. I say this every time, but it gets me every time when you go on your tirade, which may lead into link into tonight's film, but I'm thinking, what do you mean you're tied to the bed? Where are we going with this? Come on, mate. It's not even the watershed yet, but now I understand fully what you mean. How are your ankles, mate? Don't don't get your hopes up. It's not a good tide to the bed. It's a very I'm mean, I'm in a bit of a sticky wicket. In a bit of a sticky wicket, are you? Well, <laughs> um, other than being tied to the bed with a sticky wicket, how are you? All right, yeah. I, all things considered, I'm all right. Are you, are you in tier three now? Yeah. 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 I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's the same shit, different day. Stinks, isn't it? I mean, pretty much <laughs> everywhere apart from like Southampton and Brighton, by the sounds of it, are in tier three. We were as of to, as of recording today. We are now in tier three. Lockdown three. Boris is taking the piss. Um, has started. So yeah, basically, even if even if we wanted to do Death by Pod live to bring in the new year, we wouldn't be able to anyway, which is just blows the big one. But yeah, so UK, for those listening in the UK, we sympathise and empathise with all of you and around the world. But please do keep safe so we can do Death by Pod Live one day. Yeah, yeah, because Matt owes me several beers, I think. Yeah, especially for calling you stinky ears in the intro. But um, uh, what did you have for dinner tonight, mate? I can't, I can't believe that I let that one slide over me. Um, what did I, I stinky ears. I had uh, I had cheesy scrambled eggs and oh. um, like just some you know like when you butter some bread and then you like fold it over because you can't be asked to make it into a sandwich. Bread and butter. Yes, I had yeah. eggs <laughs> and bread and butter like some kind of slave. <laughs> yeah. The way you tried to put like a chef taking it. It's it was real butter and it was salty. Is it from HelloFresh? Yes, they keep giving me, <laughs> yes. me blocks of butter and loads of garlic, and I'm like, oh. I know. <laughs> Pardon? Wow. It's, it's only turned into a French lady then. Um, well, I know they sent me a whole, a whole um, bulb and then I've got a massive like brick of butter. And I'm thinking, this is the life. For those who don't know what I'm on about, um, I had HelloFresh the other day, last week, and I told Bloggy I'd tell her how it was, and I didn't because I forgot. But Bloggy sorted it out for me. He's a really nice friend, and it was bloody good. But they send you... Um, Big blocks of butter. Welcome to Death by Pod. They send you big <laughs> blocks of butter. And I've also been buttering my bread with this salted butter, but you have to let it get to room temperature before you can spread it. Absolutely. You can't keep real butter in the fridge because then you put holes in your bread and then you can't have scrambled eggs and folded over bread because it's ruined. <laughs> Cheesy scrambled egg. Cheesy scrambled egg. Oh, you can't have scrambled egg without a bit of cheese on it. Oh, no, you have to have a bit of cheese in it, mate. You, you do, have, you do. You have to, or a lot in my case. Um, what did you eat and how are you? Uh, I am well, thank you, my friend. I have a cup of tea today. I'm letting the side down in terms of alcohol, but um, what did I have? I had pork steaks again. I have that. I had that last time we were on the air, I think, or something similar. And I made homemade wedges because I did it with that Hello Fresh box. So now I have to start doing it the way they told me to do it. So I had those today and some vegetables. So I'm feeling a bit chipper. I'm full of vitamins because of that meat. 
and um, raring to go for tonight's show, mate. And for those who are new to the show, that's how you uh, store butter. And on Death by Pod, <laughs> we take one horror film uh, per episode and we just dive into it, basically. We don't necessarily tell each other beforehand what we think of the film. So we go into it kind of blind. I mean, just basically rave about it or rant about it. Uh, and it is spoiler, spoiler, spoiler heavy. So, Bloggy, on that, what are we talking about for this episode? This episode, we are talking about misery. Dun, what dun, film? Dun. Yeah, yeah, we're just talking about butter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to see in tier three, we're going to talk about misery. That's uh, it, and butter. And butter. Uh, do you want me to tell you a little bit about the film? Uh, a little bit about it, yes, please. Spread spread that misery all over us. Oh, I will. And it, this is all off the top of my head as well. I've not got this written down. Um, it's directed by Rob... See, is it Rob Reiner or Rob Reiner? Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner. So it's directed by Rob Reiner. It premiered on the 30th of November, 1990. Oh, isn't it? We could have done like some kind of anniversary. Oh, yeah. We, um, weren't so lapse. How, oh, Simon's just come up. Hello. Hello, Simon. Uh, Simon is my cat, for those that don't know. She's not really my cat. You say your cat, yeah. Yeah, Simon's someone else's cat. Okay, so it stars Kathy Bates as Annie Wilkes, James Kahn as Paul Sheldon, Lauren Bacall as, um, oh, Mar- Mar- Marcia? Yep. Marcia Sindel, um, Richard Farnsworth as Buster. That was so poorly read, I'm distracted because she's licking her feet and it's very cute. Um, so Rotten Tomatoes gave it a score of 90% and IMDb gave it a user rating of 7.8 out of 10, which isn't fairly... Is that good? That's about the same, right? Average It's right, yeah, 90%. So 9 out of 10 of the critics thought it was a good film and any anything on IMDb above a 7.5 must be half decent. Um, so yeah, the critics like it and most of the fans like it, but even though this is a spoiler episode, what is Misery all about, Bloggy? What is Misery all about? Um, okay, so it's about a guy who's a writer and like all Stephen King things are. Um, and he basically like writes these series of books that I'm, I can only assume are kind of like a Mills and Boone thing. Mm-hmm. And um, he gets in a car crash and this woman, like she saves his life and everything. But then it turns out that she's a complete nutter and she's like a super fan and she's like i'm your number one fan and she's going to her house and then when he starts to get better she starts to like make him sick so that he won't leave and it's just misery that's misery it it sounds miserable do you know because sometimes you when you sometimes you just it's not right and you want to leave sometimes you want to leave the house sometimes you want to leave the bed you can't all be tied to the bed all the time with a sticky wicket sometimes you just want to go out (laughs) <laughs> absolutely which is which is what happens in this film yeah plenty of sticky wickets so um again we're going to dive into what we think about the film and what we didn't like and we'll mix it all up and have a loosey little discussion about it but before we do that bloggy do you like misery of course i like misery do you like misery uh misery loves company and i'm that company Ooh. i do it i did enjoy this film mate i um Saw it about seven, eight years ago for the first time. I was a late comer to this film. No. And I remember enjoying it the first time, but I haven't seen it since. But it, and I genuinely mean this. It has been one of those films when you think, I would like to revisit that one day, but just sort of never bothered. And when Bloggy came up with the idea of doing it for this episode, I just thought, sweet. Now I have an excuse to watch it, which I did uh, today, in fact, via Netflix. Thank you very much. And um, so I gathered that Bloggy might 
um, might have liked it. But why, why did you pick this film for? Is it just because you just wanted to watch it again? Or? Um, I don't know. I think it's just one of those... It, it's a classic, obviously, like the, the sledgehammer scene. Everyone knows it. But um, I just I just think it's a brilliant movie. And it's on Netflix, which is nice and handy as well. Yeah. But it's kind of like... I mean, dare I say it? It's like it's a fun horror. There, yeah, there is. It doesn't. It doesn't. It it, it takes itself seriously to a point, doesn't it? It's not yeah. like full on like um, stoic. There is a bit of. I mean, the, the sheriff and his wife had a bit of humour, but even with Annie and Paul, there is almost like a not quite B movie, but there's something which just stops it from being like deadly serious. There's a little playfulness between them, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Even though, even with the situation they're in. The sticky wicket. The very stickiest of wickets. Yeah, I just, I love this film, really. And I think it was, it was one of those horror films that I remember that I think I might have watched it as a teenager and then it just became a bit of a staple. Like I did used to watch it a bit like Fright Night. I used to sort of watch it over and over again. Ah, Fright Night. <laughs> Check out our Friday night episode from about three years ago if you want to find out more about that. <laughs> oh dear. Well, yes. God, I remember doing that, and I was still living at my parents' house, and I was like in this, and the, my my Wi Fi would just drop out. That's right, and you were half cut most of the time with chocolate cake in your hair. Oh no, that no, that was when I lived. That was when I moved out of my parents. <laughs> Got you right. Okay, right. That's when you were independent. <laughs> Yeah, that's when I was left to my own devices. I fell asleep <laughs> yeah. in a puzzle coat. Uh, yeah, we, uh, most of Bloggy's life has been documented on the pod. So if you go back and listen, you can kind of see her evolution of um, Elizabeth yeah. through death by pod. But no, I, I enjoyed this film as well, mate. The second time I saw it, I enjoyed it just as much. Obviously, everybody knows the, the film. They know the title. They know the character of Annie Wilkes and Kathy Bates' performance, the sledgehammer scene. There's an awful lot to like about this film. and But it is like a horror thriller though isn't it to the point i wouldn't call it like straight up horror no i wouldn't either it's um it's kind of like a it's almost like a who done it but you already know who did it it's it's more about him his plight and his his escape and the way that he copes with it rather than her because there's like while she's scary and everything there's you know, as, as we see from the end, I mean, like she's pretty tough to beat and stuff, but she's, you know, that she's human. There's nothing. She's just nuts, man. Um, yeah, there's a few times she flips in this, to put it like that. Um, but I like the, I mean, I like where it's set to start off with. I really like the, um, I love a bit of wood and I love a bit of snow. And that's what we get in this, in this film. Um, I like it, and I think it would be unfair to um, undersell James Kahn as well in this, because I think James Kahn is really good in this. And uh, Kathy Bates gets all of the plaudits. But James Kahn is good in what he has to do. He's kind of like, he's basically in bed the whole time or having to have, you know, acts with his face and arms the whole time because uh, he's got, because his legs are hurting basically because of his car crash. So, um, and I'm sure we were going to give him some props during it, but I just wanted to. Make sure we got that in early because Kathy Bates obviously steals the show of a big old performance, especially like you say, when she gets scary, when she goes mad, especially the first time she really lets loose when, when she doesn't t- tells Paul, look, the book's great, but I don't like the swearing. It's got no nobility. And then she just flips out at the thought of swearing and starts spills soup all over Paul and then blames him and then says she loves him. And then it's like, Oh no, I mean your creativity and Paul the whole time. Like what the fuck's <laughs> going on here? But yeah, the first time she goes mad, it is just like 
that came out of nowhere because she does such a good job of starting off like you think, oh, this is this woman's really nice, you know, she's really caring, like really warming and welcoming welcoming, and then out of nowhere she just flips. Yeah, is that the bit where she's got the tomato soup and she's fucking yeah. feeding him? Yeah, and it's because she you you do sort of think like, oh, bless her life, thank God that she's a nurse and she's going to look after him. And she's like, what if I go down to the store and say, Wally, how about some of that beastly pig feed and yeah. give me some of your Christing money? Here's a bastard check. <laughs> a lot of the swear words that she are like, God, if she ever listened to this podcast, she... <laughs> if she ever read some of your messages. She'd, it was because of words that are in it, Jesus. She'd break my legs in an instant, wouldn't she? You'd have you'd have no legs. <laughs> oh, it's just so funny. She um yeah, that that bit is really scary. And I think it, like you say, James Khan does a really good job of you know, he he looks terrified. He's like, I uh, he, he thinks he's made it and he's like, Thank God, like, you know, and she's such a convincing oh, you know, the, the the telephone lines are out and I'll be able to contact your agent and blah, blah, blah. And then she just, she just starts chucking soup all over the bed. And you're like, oh, man, your legs don't work. It's time to panic. Like That's it. Houston, we have we have a nutter. We have a massive nutter. Um, <laughs> well, before we kind of get more into it, we just we just said it isn't really a horror because it isn't. It's horror elements. How scary do you reckon this film is? Because I have got in big capital letters at one point, bloggy jump scare moment. Um, so how scary do you reckon this film is? I don't think that it's scary in the sense of like you're gonna think about it at night and get freaked out. But I think like obviously it's a bit of a psychological thriller, I guess. But the character yeah. of Kathy, I mean, I, I would say that the, the visual of Kathy with that sledgehammer is as iconic as Freddie with his glove and she's a bit of a I don't know, she's a bit of an icon, isn't she, really, in herself that you really, really wouldn't want to be looked after by her in any way. Well, not after seeing the films, but certainly. But <laughs> no, some a lot of the close close up shots of her face are so well known in this film. Um, there's a couple of really good ones where she's half half um, lit, half shade in her face, um, and yeah, the shot and the scene of her with the knife at the end that she's found underneath Paul's bed when she drugged him. That scene made me sick almost because I've said I've said to you before, and I've said on air. I hate needles. I just despairingly hate them. And that moment, Paul's just like, oh, hello. And out of nowhere, she just jams a needle into his arm and you just see it go in. And I was gagging, literally retching, sorry, at the thought of it. Um, so that was ended up being one of, one of the like, more disturbing parts for me. But, oh, I agree. It's not scary, scary, but there's a, there is a proper atmosphere to this film because you know that Paul's buggered, basically. The way the music, which I'll mention in a, later on, but the way the music is used and just Annie's demeanour, you know something, you know something's not right, you know something's going to happen, and you just don't quite know when and quite know how bad it will be. But um, Rob Reiner does a really good job of creating that atmosphere. And I, I know it's changed a little bit from the book. Stephen King actually likes his adaptation. I don't know the all the uh, ins and outs. I can't uh, pretend I do, but um, I think they Rob Reiner did a really good job of setting a decent atmosphere that was creepy. Yeah, I read the book, um, and there are like some slight differences. But I'm actually quite glad that a lot of the gore towards the end of the book wasn't in the film because I think mm. it would have took away from. Um, I mean, I don't have to catch. Can I spoil the book? Yeah, is that the right? So there, obviously, spoilers the, the, for the book. <laughs> spoilers for the book. Warning. Um, 
So I, you all kind of think that the main thing that she does that's terrible is break his legs and stuff, but it's so not like that's nothing compared to what she does in the book. I think um, she cuts one of his fingers off, um, and then when it's his, because she keeps him there for years in the book, and when it's his birthday, she uh, uses makes his finger into a candle and makes him blow it out. She just does like she does just loads of weird stuff, and obviously the pills that he's taking, she gets him massively addicted to him. So even if he wanted to escape, he's really reliant on her to keep coming and feeding him these pills. Um, mm. So there's like a bit of a like an addict abuser situation going on, but she does a lot of like messed up stuff to him. I, I don't even know if there's maybe some sexual abuse. I can't remember it that well. But I, I thought that the book was only good because I had the film in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's interesting. But I'm glad that they didn't, you know, if, if she'd have come in with a blue, cut his finger off and then come in with it on a birthday cake, it would have turned the film into something that, I don't know, I'm not sure whether that would have worked. So I'm quite glad that they just kept it at the hobbling, really, because that was horrific enough and they did a good job of it. It really did look like she break his ankles yeah that would have been a bit shit if she just put a birthday cake in with his finger just sticking up as a candle because <laughs> you know it wouldn't have looked very good either it would have been like the naff yeah, looking prosthetic yeah. um and, yeah. <laughs> and there was times when the film that like, could have like devolved into being a little bit silly but even like towards the end when they have their their long at their long-awaited duel that could have been stupid had they played it wrong kathy bates character could have been like, awful had she not played it the way she did. Mm. If you know what I mean, she could have gone. It could have gone too big, or it could have gone too hammy. But uh, she, I think she was really, really good. But even even Kathy Bates bringing in a birthday cake with a finger as a candle would have like jumped any shark that was there. Well, imagine if they'd given the part to like Helena Bonham Carter or something. It would have just gone to a whole weird level, wouldn't it? Yeah, because like Bates that, with this solitary kind of like madness. To her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. You have to have that. You have to have a certain style, acting style, to be able to pull something like this off. Because Helena Bonham Carter is a great actress, but just seeing her on screen, I would immediately be like, right, something, something weird's going to happen yeah. because it's Helena Bonham Carter. And I read that they cast um, Kathy Bates because at the time she was pretty much an unknown. Yeah. So audience members were going to go in and watch the film and they couldn't gauge the character of Annie because they didn't know the actress. So if, if you see some of the actors who turned down the role of um, Paul, Harrison Ford, Bruce Willis, Robert De Niro, uh, people like Warren <laughs> Bentley. <laughs> Honestly, but he actually story. played, he played Paul in the Broadway version for five years ago. Oh, did he? He was, um, he was and um, who was it? Laurie Metcalf, I think was um, Annie. Okay. Apparently she was really good and Bruce Willis was, you know, it wasn't quite right. I would just imagine him being like how he was in Friends. Chicken boy! (laughs) Well, apparently he just sat there the whole time with a smirk on his face until it came to getting his legs snapped and then suddenly decided to act. Jesus. Well, there we go. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Bruce Willis in acting is a, uh, I use that term loosely, but um, I think, but yeah, he, he did play Paul at one point, but even, and the actresses, who were in line to play Annie? I think it's Bette Midler um, and some others because I can't remember who they are now. But some famous actresses, um, Barbara Streisand was one of them, who just wouldn't, looking back now, would not have worked at all. I don't think so. I think they actually got quite lucky with Kathy Bates. Well, Bette Midler would have been all right, I think. But it's, no, you're right. It's, it should be Kathy Bates. It should it's all ever be. 
the audience knows would know Bette Midler, surely, wouldn't they? Yeah, but I think they would have probably expected her to, you know, bust into a song or something, maybe. Like. <laughs> Hocus Pocus 2 is coming out soon, mate. Uh, yeah, just nice not talk about that one right now. I knew you'd enjoy that one. But um, So what else, what other things do you, do you remember about this film, which is part of the reason why you love it? Um, I think the, the reveal of his legs after the crash, I thought that that, I mean, that bit just always makes my legs feel really ungodly. You know, like when you're like, oh, and your legs yeah. feel all funny. I really see now you don't like needles. I don't. I don't like broken bones. They they Oof. scare me um, quite <laughs> to the point where I, I've only broken one bone in my life, and it's in my hand, and nothing happens. Like you know, like <laughs> I, don't, I don't do anything for the sheer fact that I might break something. Um, but you know, like when she's going through, like oh yeah, you know, you break your tibula and your fibula and your your bones are moving. And yeah, and you we could feel you, but yeah, your bones are rattling in your legs, and oh. his legs are all purple and fucked off. It's just oh, it makes me feel really uncomfortable. So there's that, um, and I think I just I, I I obviously I really love the relationship between Buster and Virginia. I think it's great. Um, I I really love them too, and I justice for Buster, man. I still make me upset. Buster got fucked up. Oh, I say, because poor old, like, what's, what happened to Virginia? Like, is she okay? Virginia reminds me of what you might be like when you're older. Oh, I knew you were going to say something like that. <laughs> because you've seen the similarities too. <laughs> no, I just, I know, I know you, all right? And I know <laughs> what you're going to say. It's, it's, the, it's the bit where she's like, this deputy would rather be under the covers with the sheriff. That's it. That's pretty much that. Yeah. And, when, um, and just like the way she's just like just cynical about everything, about especially about him as well. Like, yeah, but he's gone out for an affair and all this. Just, he's going to get books. Well, yeah, but that I like I like them. And I'm really sad that Buster died for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Because he's like, you don't really have a lot of faith in him, do you? You know, and he's got his shoddy filing system and bumbling git yeah and he falls down and he doesn't see the car and you're like you just gone a bit further he'd see the car and you kind of don't think Mm -hmm. anything's ever going to happen and then he finds him almost accidentally um this makes me sad and then he gets a hole blown through his chest he gets like the um Dick Halloran treatment in The Shining. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Oh, Dick Halloran, you think's going to be the hero. He's shining from afar and he knows all the information and he's coming to save the day. And then Jack Torrance just puts a, an axe through his chest. Um, similar thing here with Buster. Turns up to be the hero. And I really thought the effect of him getting a shotgun blast to his gut was really good as well. Yeah. I really honestly think, I don't know how they did it, like, um, but it looked, well, it looked real. Yeah, yeah. Unless they did shoot him. <laughs> Justice for Buster. Yeah, they went full method. Juster. Um... <laughs> just a minute now, come on. <laughs> You've uh... got to be justifying this. Uh... We have fans. fun. <laughs> God, what else did I like? I liked, um, like we were saying about how they're quite playful together. I mean, even in their their final tussle when he's like you want it so much why don't you eat it you bitch like and he's just shoving like this burning book into her mouth 
bit's really funny. And like straight after she's broke his ankle, she's like, hi, pumpkin. And he just gives her the finger. And she's like, oh, you kidding? That bit really cracks me up as well. And I'm like, oh, like in, a, in another world, they would have been like another Buster in Virginia. Like they were yes. some sassy old couple. But she just, she had to, <laughs> she had to hobble him, didn't she? And ruin the, she ruin had the to vibes. Dr- yeah. Drug him and keep him captive. <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, isn't that what marriage is? Uh, so I hear, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So my understanding <laughs> of relationships is just that you know you get drugged and held against your will, and then eventually you get your ankles broken. Yeah, you can't leave. Yeah, can't run. Uh, sounds fun, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I, yeah. Those two were great. They they provided like a bit of levity to the film, which, like we said, Annie and Paul gave us that kind of like black levity, kind of like dark humour. Whereas Virginia and Buster was just more straight up kind of like gags just like old married couple gags and it helped to break up the um that weight that the film and the atmosphere that the film was given us but it didn't feel like it was forced or anything like that it didn't feel like did you really need to put a joke in there to like ease attention it all felt like right like you say like when she puts her hand on his thigh in the car and he's like when you're in this car you're not my wife you're the deputy and she's just like crotchety i'll get uh and when he falls through the snow she's like do you need a hand? He's like, no, I'm having a, I'm having a wonderful time. It felt right. It didn't feel like forced or silly. It felt right. Whereas a birthday cake finger would have felt a bit stupid. But um, I also like how at the beginning to make to make us feel like we know Paul, to make him relatable, he throws a snowball at a tree and it says, "Still got it." And he just gets into his car, and that was like the only character development he got at the beginning to make us be like, "I'm like this guy." Uh, he drove too fast in his Mustang on the snow and went and I went for a wild ride, ride into the snow as well. Um, so I, I like the, I like the intro. I like the fact that it goes straight into it. Really like the fact that it doesn't waste any time. He throws a snowball at the tree and the next he's in the snow. And I kind of like how the message behind this, or like one of the themes, sorry, is very much prevalent now. And it's like the it's the idea of these like super stalker fans who, when they don't get what they want, they well in this case they break your ankle and drug you but nowadays you just piss and cry on the internet it's you didn't write the story i wanted so now i i hope you die and i hope you get raped and all this kind of like keyboard warrior shit and that's the first thing i thought when i was watching this and i was like this still rings true now like the entitlement type thing and i know it's an exaggerated entitlement but it's and i think stephen king wrote this based on kind of like his own like super stalkers but it's still sadly quite prevalent now. It's just people aren't breaking your ankles and sticking needles in you. They're just calling your names behind a computer. But um, So there was that, which I thought was just more prevalent rather than something I liked. Um, I did also like the fact that his legs look like a joint of gammon. Uh, it didn't, it, they, they, again, the makeup team did a really, really good job here. And I, I uh, liked the bit where she makes him burn the manuscript. And he's like, oh, that's all right, I've got more. My agent's probably fucking it now. And she's like, nah, I know you haven't because your first book, you didn't make a copy because you didn't think it'd go anywhere, this, that, and the other. And at, and it's that moment he realised he was screwed and he has to burn his book. And it, that was almost like the it for him, the like, point of no return. He, he can't escape. Even the book he's written, which is about to get him killed, has been, bur- he's been burned. Everything he worked for for the last six months is gone. He's stuck in this house with this utter head case. And, and on top of that, he ain't got no legs to you, so it couldn't really get any worse for him at that moment. And I think, like what you were saying about the the, the super fans and the entitlement and stuff, I think it is really ironic that he is kind of 
almost done like a transphobe JK Rowling. He's, he's made this massive series that's become hugely popular and then he kills off his main character and says, you know, and his agents go like, Paul, you can't do this. You know, you've got to stay and write misery. And he's like, no, I want to write for me. I want to do my own thing. I want to start a new chapter in my life. And he's clearly written this book that's based on his own experiences because he says that they're slum kids and that's why they swear and that he was a slum kid and all the rest of it. And she just won't, like the like the fans just won't let you leave. Like, yeah. you know, like when Twilight came out and it's, just, you know, it, it, um, I nearly called him Edward Cullen. Robert, see, that's exactly what like, Robert Patterson, Cedric Diggory, Stuart have. You know, like they've only just got over that. Do you know what I mean? Like they, it took them years to get out of that, and now that Robert Patterson's been cast as Batman, people are like, oh, you can't do that because he's in Twilight. Like it, yeah, it's it come never back, leaves it? you. But ironically, what the experience with Kathy Bates did, because clearly that novel was going to be a part of poo like let's be everyone's next novel is always a bit crap isn't it like Mm -hmm. uh, but it gave him the opportunity to write about his experience with Kathy Bates and what went on and um you know like but then his new chapter is is built around the fact that he was basically abducted because his agents all like hey you should write a book about it yeah that's what he says isn't it you basically want to you want to spin a profit off like my near-death experience like grinning to himself yeah it all yeah. turns around to that. He starts off by he starts off by trying to get him to spin a profit, and it ends in the same way as well. Um, but yeah, it's like a religious cleansing ceremony. Like God, this is what God wants for you to burn this book, and it's just, and it's just, she's just getting slowly more and more like mental. There's one point before that where he, she he gives her a bottle of his piss, and she's just standing in the bed, like talking to him, like animatedly, like sloshing his piss around in his bottle. And he's just like really embarrassed. He's like, please just take that out. It's just, you know, quite humiliating for me anyway. And and then she drops the uh, the famous, you dirty bird uh, line. Misery, Chastain cannot be dead. You murdered her. I thought you were good, Paul, but you're just another dirty birdie. I'll accept my Oscar later. Um, and <laughs> I, I love that, the way she comes in. That is, that's the turning point for her. Because before that, you know, she's gone a bit mad, but like, she shouted about the swearing and, and she says weird words like oogie um, and she sloshes wee wee around. But that was the moment where she absolutely snapped and she goes out and he tries to escape and he's trying to crawl along the floor and the door's locked. And I'm thinking, what, what are you intending to do if the door was open? Like, can you imagine him crawling all the way back to New York through the snow? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that's when she's like, slipped away, slipped away. <laughs> oh, what a spirit. I want her here. She just gets, she goes crackers. But there are some, like you said, there are some people that are like that. Like they, they get really just too involved in, in, you know, works of fiction. And she's, she, I did the, the whole bit with him trying to escape though. I always found those bits really tense. Like, you know, she goes oh, yeah. out, Oh, the bit where, um, so he try he tries to get her to go out because he's like, Oh, this paper like smudges. Yeah. And she like throws the, the paper on him or she just gets she get you think like fucking hell Paul you got some balls telling her that this paper's wrong um and then he's you know using the you know and he's going around the house and he figures out she's like a baby killer and yeah. that's a bit where he picks up the phone and it's got nothing in it and he's just like crazy bitch <laughs> he, he knocks the ornamental penguin that always faces due south or yep. north or whatever he knocks that over and you think oh fucking and he catches it and then he gets back just in the nick of time, and then he's got to like 
lock the door again and you're just thinking, oh my God, oh my God, just get back. Just get back in the room. It's so tense. And he's drenched in sweat. Yeah, you know what's wrong with me? I've been suffering. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to see you like this. (laughs) It's it's all just so tense. And then then she blows him a kiss. Yeah, and then she blows him a kiss and then he has to... Oh, and the bit bit where he's he's got all the pills lined up and he's going to invite her to dinner. And she's like, oh, Paul, you're so romantic. And she... She knocks the wine over and then they post to misery and you're just like, oh my God, he's going to die yes. in this house. She pulls a bloggy moment at the Christmas party just spilling her booze everywhere <laughs> and his face the whole time. He's just oh, staring at that pile of like drugged up booze on the table. Like, oh, that, 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 that was my chance to get out of here and like fate would have it that she just knocked it down. It's the other way she's talking to him and he's just staring at the table in utter disbelief. After t- you know, because now he's got to carry on this facade. Now he's pretending that he loves her. <laughs> he's got to have dinner with her. <laughs> <Fuck> yeah. <that. laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 even and then after that, he's just got to pretend. Oh, I, I do like you really. While thinking, how many ways can I bludgeon you, um, mate? I that, that, the bits where he's trying to escape are great, and the moment when he finds out, yeah, that she's a a killer basically of adults and kids is, I mean. I have got got it on a note here that she's um he looks through her her uh, scrapbook where she's advertised that she's a killer but I guess that's more the mindset of her rather than any kind of like bad writing. Yeah because it was it was in a book that was called like Cherished Memories or something wasn't yeah. it? So you think it's going to be like photos of her and I think it does it starts with like photos of her and her husband on their wedding day and then it's like oh yeah. Yeah, the husband died and you're like mm. and then it's like oh yeah I became a nurse and then all these babies died and then I went to court look at all these lovely memories and it's clearly because she just doesn't ever expect to have anyone in the house apart from the the pig misery. Oh, misery the sow. Misery the sow, who is so cute. <laughs> that's when you realise that she's nuts as well, because she's going... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it. She leaves, she leaves the room and she's just oinking like a hog. <laughs> I never identified with that bit. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, See, I wouldn't have sat there and said, oh, that reminded me of you, but now you've said it. That's exactly the sort of thing I would do. Before, and that's before the Christmas party shenanigans. Oh, God, don't. Don't even... No, don't even go there. Don't you know? even go there. I mean, I, I would be pissed off if I knocked over my own drugged wine. I mean, Christ. And imagine what everyone would feel like when he suddenly started oinking like a pig. <laughs> It'd just be like another day at the office. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that scene. I um, And I like the fight at the end as well. There are other moments, but like the fight at the end, which could have gone a bit daft. And the, bit, the, the only bit which I thought made me kind of chuckle was when Paul leapt out of the wheelchair and rugby tackled her. Just it was the the actual like framing of the shot, the way that the camera was angled, the way he leapt out like Superman flying was it was a bit odd. But <laughs> other than that, I liked I liked the I liked the fight. You know, he tells her to go and get the booze and the fags in because he's finished his manuscript. Then he burns it. And then like you said, he tries to shove these like burning ashes down her throat and he's now turned. He's not yeah, if you if you like it so much, why don't you eat it? Um, then he hits, and then she trips and she like bludgeons herself with that typewriter, which was like a proper like thud. And then I've got here capital letters bloggy jump scare when he's crawling away, and then suddenly Annie just jumps on him and eventually hits her in the face of a metal doorstop. But did you jump? Did you, have you jumped at the time when uh, when she leaps out on him? I don't think that I ever did. No, I think I saw it coming. But I know God that when, 
when she does do that and her face is all blacked up and all you can see is her eyes because she's got all the like the curl over I found that quite disturbing that was the only mm. bit when you said is it a horror film that I thought well that bit is pretty disturbing where she's just in like this white rage of like ah! and she's clearly crazy and got like crazy person adrenaline you know when people get like super strong because they're yes. having a turn like it, I, I think, and I think when I was younger, when I watched it, I found it terrifying because she's a woman, and she, you know, like she's supposed to be this the, the caring figure that she makes out that she is, and then mm-hmm. I think it's scary to see a woman overpower a man, which was you know back in the day when I had not learned about feminism and that women can be strong. So I found that quite disturbing that she was kind of like this motherly figure that was also trying to have sex with him and trying to kill him it was like all the three things in one that you you know <laughs> I just, nice. it was just a bit disturbing really and to have that sort of climactic end scene where she does look like you know a, a devil from hell and that and and him cracking her face with the pig door stuff um it was all just a bit too much for me it did it used to bother oh. me it didn't oh. scare me it just bothered me you know i've got i don't like this Oh, that's fair enough. Well, you're all right now. You're you're in your twenties, so you'll be you'll be fine now. <laughs> um, cockadoodle, uh, they didn't they, they didn't get out of the cockadoodle car. Got a shout out, Rocket Man. Oh god, that's it. She was so pissed off that Rocket Man didn't die in the um in the Saturday serials. Uh, they just so screwed. They cheated us. He didn't get out of the cockadoodle car. Do you all have amnesia? That's it. <laughs> great i love it i love it and again it's just like these weird old-timey words like when she shouts like oh I, I forgive me for prattling away and making you feel all oogie is that words which you kind of have you just made that up but it kind of works with her straight and that's also i find that unnerving like the use of like odd words like that when yeah. she's like so homely and so motherly and welcoming and warm using these like strange colloquialisms and um especially when she's in a rage when she's screaming about cock and all that I've, that's very unnerving as well. Not because in any other film they'd scream like they, she didn't get out of the effing car or something like that. But it's I found it more as uh, unsettling that she'd use these like strange terms rather than just swearing, which we know that from the front, beginning of the film she's against that anyway. Yeah, I think it's like it's almost a weird mix of like she's obviously worked with kids, so she's got this weird sort of like almost childish nature to her. But mm-hmm. it's also really christianly which you know no offense to anyone with religion whatsoever but i just find it a little bit disturbing like you know if, if she just said like you need to get out of the fucking car you know you'd think yeah. okay but it's the fact that you know she's got this sort of i'm not going to swear i'm going to say these these other alternative words almost like mm-hmm. you know she's a teacher or a sunday school person and but she's also mental, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's also one bit of ham short, short of a sandwich. Um, well, let's not. Well, let's we've, we, let's make let's talk about that scene then, like the scene everybody knows, um, where you put that Paul's gone through the scrapbooks and he's got himself a knife which he's hidden under his bed because and he's kind of like starts practicing how to like grab it and swing it so she doesn't notice it. Um, He's woken up and he injects him with something in that horrible moment with the needle. My skin is crawling thinking about it. He wakes up. There's no knife, no key. And there's that great shot of uh, Annie holding the knife, which again is like the poster, not the poster, like the um, one of the main, main images from the film. 
And then she, yeah, she smashes his ankles in with a hammer. And it's just the first time when you see it as well. It's just brutal, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's the, it's the story that she tells leading up to it about the Kimberley Diamond miners that they oh. had to, you know, that they had to make sure they wouldn't run away, but that they could keep working. And you, you see her put the block of wood in between his ankles and you think, oh my god and she's like the operation was called hobbling and you think oh my god she's gonna do it she's gonna break his because like i think the worst bit is his legs have healed like his legs are healing he's you know he's he's sorting himself out and he's recovering and she she did all of that work you know she she patched him up and went through it all and dragged him out of the car and yeah, and then she she picks up the sledgehammer and he's like, oh, Annie, please. And she's like, shush, shush. And she's looking, you know, like, shush, darling, it is for the best. And I'll... and then afterwards, she's like, God, I love you. Yes, it. And it's the fact the camera kind of really does that rapid zoom in on her. And she's like, boom, God, I love you. And you're like, oh, my God, you're going to die. But it's like there's no way out of this. There's no way out of this because the helicopters have already come searching for him, have gone straight past uh, Buster, not until not until the very end does he suspect anything. So you literally like there's no hope. And now his ankles have been shattered. And you get that first one where you actually see um, yeah. his ankle go. It's just like that is just horrible. And I think James Khan again, he acts that scene so well because, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he's never had his ankle broken like that. So how the hell do you react but I believed him in that moment. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I think for me that was such a huge contrast from seeing James Carner's Sonny in The Godfather, where he's this big, rough and tough, you know, hey, what are you talking about, kind of guy. And then in this, he's just vulnerable as anything, and he's in pain, and you feel really sorry for him. Um, mm-hmm. But the, yeah, that scene especially, whereas he, he, he even goes so far as to roll his eyes back as if he's passing out and. But he can't because he's in so much pain. It's um, it's Ooh. really, really well acted. It's a really well played out scene. I don't know how. I'm assuming that's some kind of like trick photography, um, or like, they, like a wooden foot or something. I don't know. They use something for I can't think like wax or something like that for his foot. Uh, so and so for for scenes when it is full body and you could see it, he'd have his leg there, and then obviously he would move his leg and she just whack that which is why it moves like it does but uh so it's all done on camera and obviously the way that they uh position the camera and kind of you quickly see it and it quickly cuts away you know it means that unless you watched it in super slow motion it looks quite real i mean because like, most people have seen that video that kickboxing accident right yeah 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 it, yep. that that and misery they're kind of the same thing for me but one of them's real and one of them's not. But I think that if you showed someone those two things, they look kind of the same, no? Yeah. Well, misery itself, the way that I mentioned that atmosphere in the earlier on, it doesn't it doesn't feel like totally out of the ordinary, can I kind of say that? It doesn't feel it's it's not supernatural. It's no like kind of Stephen King isms in it where there's like floating fucking turtles. It's a real it's just like it's someone's been abducted by a head case and they're getting tortured, but not in the most, but not in jigsaw type ways or elaborate methods. The guy's just in the bed. He can't move because his legs are out of action. And then she breaks his ankles. It's, it feels like, like sadly, like it could be real mm. and it's played out that way as well. It's almost played out like this is a fly on the wall type thing. And that's what makes it even scarier is it's not done for glamorization. Everything is done with just brute force. Even the fight at the end, like when she, when, um, 
when she smacks her head on the typewriter, when he's trying to feed her the paper, then when he then when he gives her a good old pounding with that pig, it, it all none of it feels like it's done over the top or shot like an action film. It all feels like quite like frantically real. Yeah, yeah. There's um the I guess the way that it's filmed is kind of almost like a drama, like you know, there's a lot of like mid shots and mm-hmm. well a shot lot of well. it is based on the the faces and the eyes and their reaction to each other rather than like a lot of horror films now it's like oh look at this girl look at this look at that whereas I don't know misery it's um it's all it's all in their eyes and the way that they're looking at each other and you because I I think really without knowing anything about the film you would know there was something off of Annie Wilkes as soon as you look at her from the fact that she's just like I'm your number one fan I'm your number one fan the first thing she says yeah your introduction is is literally her saying, and then she kind of says something else, and she says it again. I'm your number one fan. Again, classic line from the film. Um, also, you mentioned about uh, the fact that she overpowers him. I mean, there's even thinking about that. There's even kind of like that hint right at the beginning that when he when she uh, rec- rescues him from the car, she just gives him. She just fireman carries him, just picks him up like he's nothing, and puts him on her shoulders and just trudges through the snow. And I struggle to walk through the snow with my own body let alone carrying a full-grown man on my shoulder. So they kind of telegraph that at the beginning, but you don't, you're not looking for that because you probably assume, oh, some blokes has picked him up. And then the surprise and the twist, if I could say so, is that it's not, it's, it's Annie. And, you know, she's even more formidable than most blokes who would have picked him up because she's <laughs> mad and a murderer. Well, I just remembered the other really creepy bit as well is that she, the only reason that she was able to rescue him is because she was stalking him anyway. Oh, yes. Yeah. He was there. Yeah. She, she said she, she used to sit outside of his cabin looking up at the light in his room and just, just watching like it's a normal thing. And yeah, she'd, she'd followed him because she knew he was there. Hence why when he crashed, she was there. You know, not long after. Yeah, because she says, like, what, what's a big-time writer going out driving when there's a big storm coming? And he was like, oh, yeah, I didn't know there was a storm coming. And she was like, well, luckily for you, I did. And mm-hmm, you see yeah. her just, like, crowbar open, like, casually crowbar open a car that's been smashed up, like, usually take a fire team. Like, I get, I, well, I don't know. I guess, like, me, me being, finding that part disturbing isn't necessarily me being, you don't, because we've we've come to like you know accept the fact that it isn't like you said it isn't usually a woman it is usually yeah. a man that's doing these things so then the fact that it's a woman that has the strength of a man and you know but then the romantic desire of like a woman and it's kind of all quite fatal attraction as well it's mm-hmm. just um it's that kind of femme fatale isn't it I guess yeah. apart from there's nothing sexy about anyone. <laughs> Well, no, yeah, unless you really like that kind of like beating no, beforehand. No cockadoody for you. <laughs> yeah, no oogie for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's why a lot of the those big macho men didn't want to star in the film, partly as well, because they would have, they would have been overshadowed by the big performance of Kathy Bates, but also the fact that you know the man was like uh, was it demasculized is that the word for the most part of the film which you know is more says more about their egos than anything else because James Caan took it and even though Annie Wilkes is a star it's because of it's also just as much him because if he if he blows in that role if you don't believe him then it is just a B film or just a a, a cack film with a one good performance but no both of them together really sell this film and um 
if you because if you don't have James Khan doing, it, I can't imagine anyone else doing it. And it sounds stupid, but in hindsight, I can't. The pairing is great, the two of them together. Um, and there was I'm trying to think a few other moments I liked as well. Um, obviously, when Buster gets <laughs> shot to pieces, just because it, you probably you know it's coming, but you don't think it's going to be as brutal as that. Even when I rewatched this film, I today. I was like, oh, he gets clattered around the head, doesn't he, and falls down the stairs. Oh, no, he gets a hole blown through his chest. And then there's that great shot of Annie standing behind him with the smoking gun. Yeah. I really like that. But I love the use of music as well throughout this. It's like a lot of the music is kind of like woozy, old-timey, classical, romantic at times. You'll know, be a shot of Annie talking to uh, James about how she's basically holding me against his will. But she'll be looking out the window into the beautiful uh, icy tundra and this kind of an old school romantic holly, uh, classic era of Hollywood music playing in the background as, as per the score. And it's really beautiful, but at the same time, again, really unsettling because there's nothing romantic or charming about what's going on whatsoever. So I really like the music in this film. Yeah, I didn't really think about the music. Well, I remember the, the music when he's in his car at the beginning. <laughs> Shotgun. What is is it that I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, shotgun. That's it. It's called shotgun. It's an old Motown tune. Yeah, it's that. That's a cool jam. But like, that's a cool jam. Uh, <laughs> but... All right, all right, kid. What was that word? You said that wasn't twerking. What was it? Vexing. <laughs> what a bop. <laughs> I don't know what it was. You said something about the last the other week, and you got ripped mercilessly for it. Oh, tweaking. Tweaking. That's it. Well, that is the word for it. I don't know, is it? It is, it is. I, well, Jam was a little bit more like, hey, that's my jam. That's my so vibe, girl. Like, that's I, it. I went back Shotgun. to the 70s there. It's cool Junior Walker and the All-Stars uh, did that song, like a Motown tune. It's a good song. I, but, it's and, a banger. What, is, what does she play? Liberace? Liberace. Yeah. Well, what, what was that ceiling that Dago painted? Sistine Chapel. Yeah, like that. Only misery. <laughs> you and him, I was like, she compares him to the Michelangelo and his work, and you can tell he's just like, what the, f- what is going, what the hell is this cockadoodie woman on about? Um, I love the music, dude. Um, I love the the iconic. I hate that word, but the iconic lines in this film they still hold up. You mentioned the camera work and like the technique. I really like the variety in this film. And like, like I said, there's long shots, there's close-ups, the way they use the mid shots, the way they use a lot of reactionary shots of the faces and dolly zooms. There's a lot of, um, and uh, when he gets his ankles, when he gets hobbled, the way that they shoot that as well. It's really, really well done by Rob Reiner and the director of photography, whose name eludes me, but if you're listening, good job. <laughs> I really like the way that they made this film look. So, like, is there anything that you didn't like about this film? Um, well, short answer, like no. Unless I mean, there's nothing. I nothing. No scenes that I watched and was like, ah, that's a bit dog. Because everything gets explained. You could easily be like, oh, it just ha- happens to be his number one fan happens to just drive past the snow and finds him. But it gets explained that she was stalking him the whole time. The um, the scrapbook of her basically outing herself as a murderer oh that's convenient but it says on the front cherish memories and it plays into what you know about the character so even the things which had they not been written as well would have been glaring aren't because they do a really good job of covering it um no nothing really other than the way he jumps out of the wheelchair at the end to like rugby tackle her i just thought was a bit funny um 
no, everything's kind of like a what could have been. Like, it, Annie Wilkes could have been over the top if she'd gone any further. James Khan couldn't, it may, may not have been believable if he didn't put in the effort that he did. You know, it's very much like hypotheticals. Um, but what about you? Because I know, as we've ascertained, you really like this film. So, but is there anything you think is a bit plot? No, there's ab- there's absolutely nothing. I think this film is perfect the way that it is. Really, in that there's what about the sh- what about Buster? Because his wife says up top, she basically she wants some nookie, but Buster's not giving it to her. Is that not a bit like you know? Buster's on the title. top, isn't he? Buster, <laughs> Buster later on. Um, <laughs> Buster later. Yeah. I don't know. I think the thing, the cool thing about Buster is that you do not have any faith in him whatsoever. He's got, he puts put. He's like, oh yeah, I'll run it through our system, and just writes Paul Sheldon on a post-it note, yeah. <laughs> the agent off and everything. But then very quickly, you know, his you know his wife is mercilessly trying to come onto him at every opportunity and trying to distract him, but he still notices like a broken tree branch and. A million others that indicates that something he you know he, he may have missed the car but he saw the tree branch even though his wife was holding onto his thighs in front of touch's dick i mean that's it's true that's good work man I, I i i respect a man of that age who's still an absolute stud who's a sex symbol to his wife i mean they're married they must have a great marriage they must have a great sex life if you think about it because you know he's you know she she wants her she wants her man and he's just like you know what i'm on the job you can wait. You know, he's he knows what he is. He knows he's hung like a horse and he's a and he's a handsome man. So you know, good on him, I think. But I guess maybe that's the only nitpick. I just punched the desk by mistake. I think that that might be the only nitpick. And again, that is such a such a nitpick. It's like he goes from being a complete arsehead who just sticks note uh, post it notes on the on the back of the oh sorry, on the note notice board and doesn't really know what he's doing, to suddenly actually being quite a good detective out of nowhere. But even then, that's really, you know, the way when, when he sees Annie in traffic and she's saying, get out of the cockadoodie way, and somehow points that to being, uh, to her being a suspect because he'd seen the car before and that. But maybe I'm thinking too much into it, but that's the only like, nitpickiest in nitpicks. He notices the quote, doesn't he? Because he decides, because he's not getting anywhere, he decides to read all of the books and he sees the that's thing it. that says, if there's a justice higher than man, then let me be judged by him. And he remembers that Annie Wilkes said that um, in her court cases. So he kind of just puts the... But I, I don't know. I think I saw it differently because I, I kind of got the impression that he he was reluctantly good at his job in the sense of he's, he's perhaps used to work in the big city, retired into this small place, doesn't want any trouble. This literary agent calls him and he's like, well, yeah, it's probably nothing. And then it starts to become this big time case and he's a bit like, oh shit, I've got to actually like do stuff. And he's completely, completely has no idea. So he just starts reading his books and through that he manages to figure out that it's probably Annie. But I think, you know, obviously even at the end, he doesn't, he doesn't know that it's Annie necessarily. And that's what gets Mm -hmm. killed that he just, (laughs) there's that really funny bit where she goes to make him some tea and he like leaves the room and then she leaves the room at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's like whoop and he, just... he finds him by accident doesn't he because Paul um, manages to like shake something downstairs and because he, he I think he suspects that she knows something but he doesn't suspect that she did it and that's yeah, why yeah. he dies poor guy it's so that's it Paul makes a noise a clattering and he hears it again very bloody loud from the basement but he hears it and finds him because, because before because when he's in the house yeah, he's knocked out in the other room and 
uh, and she's kind of passing off Paul's work as her own. She's like, oh, I love him so much. I bought a typewriter and even like started to write in his prose. Uh, would you like to have a read? And he's like, no, no thanks. And then he leaves, here's the clatter, and then gets blown blown to pieces, which, again, Paul Sod, the first time he really uses his loaf, he gets <laughs> killed. Uh, but again, that's like the most nitpicky that, isn't it? That he... he... He starts making noise, and as she's ushering him out, she just runs in with a fucking like syringe, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. And, like, oh, oh, and then no. we get, and then we get the battle. Um, but yeah, yeah there's, there's nothing, honestly, nothing. I mean, even the ending when you know Paul sees he he says he sees Annie at times, and the waitress, the, the last word mm-hmm. is the waitress like I'm your number one fan. I like, fair enough. Um, but in terms of Stephen King endings, Stephen King adaptations, it's a good ending for one of yeah. his adaptations anyway but no I'm, I'm with you then um i'll buy the old pal there's nothing i didn't like um and it looks like the listeners 100 percent of you liked this film as well from those who answered the poll so it seems like misery is well loved in the community and i'm guessing it would go towards the top of your death by pod ranking oh yeah definitely i can't remember what ones we've done but... the conjuring was top i think yeah i think i'd probably put and then misery... host. Uh, yeah i think i'd probably put misery I see now in terms of it actually being a horror film, because I guess it's not really mm-hmm. a horror film. So I think I'd have to maybe put it third. And that's not you to dirty say, birdie. Well, but it's not to say that The Conjuring or Host are better than Misery as films, because I don't think that they are. But if we're just going to go with like straight horror, like a bit like if we did Alien or something, it would it's horror, but it's not horror, if that makes sense. So it would be... Subgenre. But it's a better film than The Host and Conjuring. If that makes sense, does it make sense? Well, there we it go. Make sense. It did make sense, yes. Whereas if you want pure horror, yeah. No, I'll, I'll put it towards the top as well because it's just a bloody good film as well, with with great thriller moments and some and some decent horror moments chucked in as well. And it's one of the best Stephen King adaptations. I'm not ready to hang my hat on it being the best yet because there are some very good ones. Plus, I haven't seen them all, but it's certainly one of the better ones, along with something like Stand by Me. The first new it film, like twenty seventeen, I did like that. Uh, Storm of the Century, Green uh, Green Mile, stuff like that. Was Green Mile Stephen King? Yeah, yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, so this is up there for sure. But um, well, that is our review of Misery. Let us know if you agree with us. Let us know if you like the film, or if you don't like the film, we'd quite like to hear some dissenting voices, politely dissenting voices, wouldn't we, Bloggy? Mm, yes, why not? even if they're not polite, I can, I can cope with that. Yeah, send it to Bloggy then, leave me out of this in that case. But, um, here on Death by Pod, we always end with a game, and it's so scarily good. Uh, also, Kathy Bates won the Oscar for Best Actress. Uh, we end on the Death by Pod game. Um, probably worth mentioning that. And this week, it's simply called Positive Misery. And... The, basically, we've got to give each other three horror f- movie characters or characters in horror films, same thing. And the other one has got to provide a, a positive reason or positives to being snowed in with them. So let's imagine you're James Caan and you get snowed in the house with Annie Wilkes. We've got to give a positive as to why that might be quite a good thing. So uh, you dig? Yeah, I'm in. Dig your way out of it as well. So, Bloggy, would you like to go first? Go on, then. Um I'm going to say George Lutz from the Amityville Horror. Oh, um, George Lutz. He looks like he could give a good cuddle because he's got a nice beard. Um, you wouldn't go cold because he can chop a log as well. So <laughs> I was thinking that. I was like, 
he'd keep you warm. I think he'd keep you warm. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I'm convinced. Because there is no well, there because well, there isn't any re- right or wrong answers here. We we have the power of the klaxon, so whichever klaxon you want, you can have. Um, your one then, Blocky. Let's say you're snowed in with Jack Torrance from The Shining. Oh, that's quite a difficult one. Um, let me let me think about this. Well, I mean, you would always win if you played the maze. <laughs> that part would be really quite fun. Um, he's got he's got a steady job, so keep the rent keep the rent going. Um, he can he can always find work, even in the most unlikely of places, and. Um, He's friends with a ghost bartender, which I think could come in handy if you're snowed in with someone. Like, you always need a ghostly drink. A chilled drink. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let me just consult the ghouls as to whether that's a good idea. Does that work for you guys over there? Very much so. Well done, Bloggy. Okay. Uh, I am going to say Carol Ann from Poltergeist. Ooh, Carol Ann from Poltergeist. Which one's that? The the long haired one that talks to the ghost through the telly. Got you right. Okay, I should I should really have known that. Oh my god, he's only a kid. Um, <laughs> I've got the after a fuck's sake. <laughs> I was going to say if I snowed him with Carol Ann, I think that's the other way around. I'd have to make a dinner. Why would it be? Well, because kids have a wonderful uh, sense of humour for the most part and imagination. So uh, at least she'd be able to take some of the tension away from the snow. Whereas I'd be probably fearing for my life. You know, the, the kids always find positives in the negatives. So they'd be talking about snowmen. They'd want to play like I Spy and Hangman and things like that to pass the time. And she'll go to bed early. So I have a bit of time to myself later on in the evening. So, um, and also she's quite good at alerting people to the dangers. So if anyone was here, she'd let us know. The only thing that I have to question you on that is that obviously if Carol Ann was in your house, you might get a lot of time to yourself, but you wouldn't be able to have a TV. Oh, yeah. Um, Christ. I, oh, that means I'd have to play the kid. Um, oh, crap. Uh, I can't... Yeah, I, that, I'd have to uh, take up Sudoku or something. But to be honest, mate, that stumps me because I can't find any fun way without a TV. Wow. I mean, well, I mean, you know, now the Sudoku, I think that, you you know, you get to enrich yourself. You get to, like, you know, get that brain training thing. You pick up a new hobby. Oh. <laughs> you were stretching at the end there. <laughs> oh, I just want you to win and be happy. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Bloggy, mate. I do appreciate you. Um, for for you then, you're snowed in a house with Father Karras from The Exorcist. Uh, well, um, <laughs> we can't really think of many positives of that one because he'd be going on about his dead mum all the time, which would be fucking depressing. <laughs> Um, he's religious for another thing, so I wouldn't, you know, be able to be myself around him. Um, <laughs> no. Oh God, what are the positives here? He can box. He goes to a boxing gym. So he can beat you. Don't know. He does get drunk, doesn't he? He does drink because he gets drunk, and then his friend has to like yes. take his shoes off for him. Okay, yeah, no, I get drunk with Father Caris. He can tell me all of his horror stories about. <sighs> possessions 
I don't I don't fancy Father Karis, so there's that there's a slight he he would obviously oh, want a piece of me, but I'd be like, Karis, not tonight. <laughs> Put your cockadoody away, Karis. I'll have to undress him, but purely just because he's so drunk because he's <laughs> That that probably could go both ways sometimes with you. Uh, no, not not no. It's not, I, I wouldn't. I would man of a cloth. No way. Wouldn't. Okay. Well. <laughs> but bringing up the fact that you could get pissed with him because he's an alcoholic is a, is a winner for me. Well, yeah, this is it, and I would I would be able to drink him under the table, which is so unusual for me. Like he would have like two glasses of wine by like seven o'clock and be mashed because he'd been drinking like for twenty years, whereas. Yeah, you know, I'd I'd look pretty sober in comparison, so he'd make me look good. So basically, so so he can make you look good. Well, it's a, it's a point. I've got to get this one right to stay in the game now, Bloggy. So, oh, hit me with it. Okay, um, Jeepers Creepers. The actual creeper. Yeah, the cross. The, the creeper himself. Director, nonce. Um, <laughs> You're too old for him. No, I have got a young. Well, not anymore. I'm more what happy. I was going to say, you haven't got a young face. I used to, but then I, got, <laughs> then I had a kid. I didn't have the kid, and then I yeah. and then I started had... Carol Ann for a while. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and I, uh, so the creeper, um, he's good at facials, so he could sort me out of that what? and give me a new face. He's oh, tall. Okay. Up, boys, okay. top, he? All right, I see where you're going. Yep, carry on. Um, <laughs> He drives, so and he drives that massive van. So I reckon he could probably drive that to the shop to get supplies. Yeah. But then if he did that, he could just drive me out. So there's that. Um, and he's uh, unkillable as well. So the snow's got, not going to affect him. So I reckon he could actually farm and carry me out of there to safety before eating me. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to buy a scarecrow. No, we wouldn't have to buy a scarecrow. So those nosy old women with all their cats wouldn't be coming around here. Exactly. I think that's the winner. I think that's it. Chicken dinner. Right. 2-2. Two, two. This is to win the game for Balboa. Are you ready, mate? I'm ready. What would you do if you were snowed in a house with Ripley from Aliens 3 Resurrection? Ripley from Aliens 3 Resurrection? Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection. The Alien Saga. God, well, we'd have, we'd have an awesome time. Is this is this when she's got an alien in her tummy, though? Uh, I'd say so, yeah, just to add to the peril. That's fine. She'll take care of that. She's done it for the last couple of films. Um, you know, she's got that whole androgynous, she's kind of hot, you know. We, we, she walks around in her pants quite a lot. She's got a cat. <laughs> so you'll be fine. Yeah, we would have like the best time. We would arm wrestle, and she would win. And I'd be like, oh, Ripley, you're so scary. Yeah. Um. Also, kill that alien for me, because even if she had an alien coming through her stomach, you know that Ripley would just be like, "Oh, it's fine. It's just a flesh wound." <laughs> Snap its neck as it comes out. Throw it on the fire and carry on playing. <laughs> Come back to bed. <laughs> uh, uh, come on, you leave me no choice. Just with the line, come back to bed with Ripley, you leave me no choice. So basically, you'd have Ripley, you'd survive with Ripley by fucking her. It would be mutual. 
Well, it's certainly not, it's bold of you to assume, but fair to do. So. No, it would be. Well, I think that we would get on really well, and like you know, she was she was supposed to be a man. True, but she isn't. But she isn't. Yeah, like you wouldn't say that during the acts, the throes of passion. You were supposed to be a man. Well, yeah, I suppose as well. You could if you want to make it weird, but um, <laughs> <laughs> well, for the second episode in a row. Balboa has scored a knockout and she's won again. So, Bloggy, well done. How have we, like, so, honestly, how have we won? How? How do we score this? How do we win? It's all subjective. You're, I've just won based on my opinion. I've, I don't believe in that. I think we should both win. Because my Carol Ann one elicited a... Oh. Because I couldn't do it. Because there's no T. I I don't live and die by the TV, but the idea of being stuck in a house with a clairvoyant kid... Um, and then having nothing to do in the evening and letting and being alone with my own thoughts in a snowed in house, I couldn't find a way out of it, mate. She's got lovely hair though, and you could learn how to plait. She's about eight. Yeah, but no, she's got lovely long hair, so you could learn how to like plait and like. I don't know. Then I I don't think that we should. But anyway, I'm I'm glad that I won. <laughs> Take the win for fuck's sake! You fucking loser. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one point more. I, oh. I'm just saying. I just I think that your opinions are still valid. Please don't come away from this game feeling like you know. Uh, my opinions don't count. I lost the game. You can't. Uh, what, what, once we go off air, I'll try not to feel those thoughts, mate. I'll I'll try to leave it <laughs> I, on I, air. Honestly, I know what you like. I know this is going to bother you. It's going to keep you awake at night. Like you, you have the right to to. To get snowed in with whoever you want and take positives from it. <laughs> I will. I'll delete the message I've just drafted to you saying I'm not sure that I. I feel you know sad after that game. I've deleted it now. <laughs> I ain't gonna bother you. You got your therapist on speed dial. Like I've my opinions. Not game. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, I've deleted the message now, mate. So you're safe once you once we finish this, you can go about your night and and know that I'm gonna be just okay. Oh, but well done, mate. You know, I don't have to phone my therapist and be like, I'm really anxious because I think I've upset my friend on a podcast. This guy, this guy's giving me the ad because he keeps he keeps pissing me off with his stupid issues oh. about a game. <laughs> no, you, um, you are the rightful winner, Bloggy. So well done, my friend. Hopefully, next episode I can avenge this crushing defeat. Um, and next up in the next episode, we're going to be talking about Jennifer's body. You looking forward to that, mate? I've never seen it. I've managed to avoid oh, it. I've heard it's bad. But yeah, I, dead excite. Hashtag dead excite. I've seen it once at the cinema um, and I wanted to watch it again. So thanks, Death by Pod. You've given me the chance to do it. Because, and also, it's had, um, I say, a reevaluation, but people's original um, thoughts on it were have all been like, rendered incorrect, basically, which is quite interesting. So I'm looking forward to going back to watch it with like a different mindset. Um, so Jennifer's Body will be our next episode if you've seen that film let us know what you think about it if, if you haven't go watch it and then chuck us let us know what you thought and we'll shout it out on the episode but that was our misery episode so again let us know what you thought about that but bloggy thank you so much for coming on and giving you time to talk some horror always a pleasure Thanks thank you very much me. for uh, thank you for bringing me down for losing the game uh <laughs> if the world wants to find you online where should they um bloggy balboa on twitter and on wordpress Go check her out. Just don't play any games with her. If you want to find me, you can. What I watch tonight, Dakota UK. What I watch tonight, across all of the socials. More importantly, if you want to find the show and let us know what you think about the uh, films we're talking about, 
Follow us at Death by Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We drop polls, we drop images, questions, funny quotes, great comebacks on there. Uh, so go check us out on there as well. But until next time from me, thank you for listening and see you and have a wonderful 2021 if we don't hear from you before. And from Bloggy. This year has been cock a Have a good one for next year. Bye. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>